Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. You probably know Scott Oak as the award-winning CBC broadcaster, or as host of After Hours on Hockey Night in Canada, or even from his coverage of 12 different Olympic Games. But what you may not know is that Scott's oldest of two sons, Bruce Oak, passed away due to a heroin overdose in 2011. Our two boys were raised in a loving home, a loving, caring home. Children of privilege, really. One is taking the world by storm as an international star now in his field of magic and illusion. And um, our older boy lost his life to a disease. It can happen. If it can happen to us, it can happen to anyone. Scott, his wife Anne, and his son Darcy have been working towards honoring Bruce's legacy through the Bruce Oak Foundation, and in doing so, have created the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, a long-term addictions treatment center in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I sat down with Scott to talk about the stigma of addiction, the pain of loss, and the importance of honoring our loved ones. Because addiction is not a moral failure, it is a disease. The medical definition of it is it's a chronic brain disorder. We need to do better in the area of treatment, and until we do, lives will be lost. Scott Oak, thank you for sitting down with us uh, on the Because and Effect podcast. This is episode number one, so you're a very special guest for us. Oh, uh, I'm the pioneer. You, yeah, thank you for doing this. Well, I hope it doesn't get canceled after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. We'll do our best, but uh, we really appreciate you being guest number one. Um, so let's just kind of hop right into it. I guess congratulations are in order because there seem to be no more major hurdles to getting uh, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center up and running. It seems like this summer there might be some construction started. Mm -hmm. Uh, How does it feel kind of being on the other end of this eight-year journey, finally getting this going? It feels great. We uh, have been at this for a long time. Um, When we first started uh, with the notion that a recovery center in our late son's name would be uh, a good idea, uh, both to you know to honor him, to make his life mean something, and to uh, make a difference in this addiction epidemic that we're currently experiencing. Um, we uh, we were hard pressed to figure out what to do, um, where to go, and how to get there for a couple of years. But in the last couple of years, uh, since we've uh, uh, hooked up with our executive director. Her name is Marnie Larkin. She's been able to navigate the halls of the legislature and city hall. So we've made incredible progress to the extent that we have this piece of property, the city gifted uh, to us. Uh, it's now been rezoned. We uh, survived the, the appeal hearing with a unanimous vote in our favor. So the, uh, the bureaucratic uh, process has been just about complete and now we have to raise the money to get the place built and we're confident we can do that. Is it a sense of relief now? Is it a sense of optimism? What, what, are, what are the yes. main, yeah, both? Uh, it's all of that. Um, it, it gets more real every day, mm. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, you know, I repeat, but when we first started, we, the goal seemed almost unreachable um, and the workload seemed overwhelming. And there's still a lot of work to For do, sure. but uh, we can envision this place being built now. We can envision it being a, a place for healing and recovery and uh, people getting a, a chance to rebuild their lives. Well, I love the name, the, A Place for Recovery, Healing, and a Foundation for Life. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of what I was reading on the website was all about a long-term approach. Um, why is that the approach that needs to happen in these situations? Our son battled addiction for the last four or five years of his life. 
Um, it was that roller coaster of um, addiction, recovery, relapse. Uh, he had, he wanted a better life and he fought hard for it. He, he had four stints in um, treatment centers and eight or nine in detox. But the truth is that uh, it was that roller coaster of uh, addiction, recovery, relapse for four or five years. We did everything we possibly could to keep Bruce alive. We don't uh, lose a lot of sleep over woulda, coulda, shoulda. Mm -hmm. um, we miss him every day. We have holes in our hearts that will never heal. But uh, one tragic thing that we learned during his journey was that 21-day stays, 45-day stays, 90-day stays were not long enough. He had the best year of his addicted life at a long-term facility in Calgary. And he stayed for a year. As a family, we often conclude that if he had stayed for two years, he would still be alive. Hmm. So we are married to the notion of long-term recovery. And the Bruce Oak Recovery Center will offer long-term recovery, the opportunity to, to experience it, yeah. to the extent that addicts can stay for as long as it takes to get it right. Uh, it's a 90-day program, but needing a lot of maintenance, a continuum of care, it's likely a and, lifetime, right? Yeah. Like 90 well, it's days a, is kind of you're never you. You're never cured. You're always yeah. in recovery. Mm -hmm. And we prayed for Bruce that that was the stage he would get to. Tragically, he did not. But uh, as I say, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center will, will allow uh, those in recovery to stay for a year, two years, even three, if that's what it takes to get it right. Great. There was a ton of support. There was a little bit of pushback, but a ton of support. How did you feel seeing the kind of outpouring from Winnipeggers and probably people nationally when they were supporting this cause and trying to make this thing happen? Well, one of the things that uh, we've taken on in this project is the, uh, is the desire to, to help, if not totally, remove the stigma attached to addiction. Addiction is a disease. The, the medical definition of addiction is it is a chronic brain disorder. It is not a moral failure. And so once people begin talking about it, the way we talk about mental illness, right. in that area we've made huge progress, uh, once people start talking about addiction in that way, then we can get somewhere. Well, it's all uh, kind of intertwined too, right? It's not, you, you kind of also have to have both conversations at once when it comes to addiction and mental health. Yes, there is a mental health component to addiction, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, so... We, we don't see any shame in how our son died. Uh, you know, those who suffer from cancer um, yeah. are most often seen when they die to have staged, you know, valiant struggles, courageous struggles mm -hmm. against a, a horrific disease. Addicts, sadly, often die ugly deaths and alone. That's what happened to our son. But uh, it's a disease. Yeah. And uh, again, we see no shame in it. When he died, uh, we, uh, we got the call that no parent should ever get. Um, we uh, got on the plane to go get him in Calgary, and on the way there, we wrote his obituary. And um, we, were, um, we were resolute in our belief that um, there was no shame in the disease that had claimed his life. Mm -hmm and uh, we wouldn't hide behind it. So the first line of his obituary reads, tragically, Bruce Oak lost his battle with addiction at the uh, tender age of 25. Hmm. And that really was the start of yeah. the project that we're knee deep in now. Have people been sharing their stories with you when, when you kind of uh, um, become a public figure and face of this, of, of, of the disease? Of course, yes. Uh, too many to count, <laughs> and, uh, but I welcome them all. Uh, and so does my wife, Anne, and so does Darcy, mm -hmm. uh, Bruce's brother. Um, 
it's amazing when Anne and I, we, we have a presentation that runs about uh, 40 minutes in which we tell Bruce's story. Yeah. Uh, because when we talk about Bruce, we want people to know that he was a kid like any other, um, that he was just like your son, your daughter, whatever. And uh, that, you know, his life was about more than addiction. So when we do that presentation in public, and we've done it many times, there's literally a lineup of people afterwards to talk to us about uh, how it's in their family. It affects everyone. Yeah, how it, it really affects does. everyone. And one thing that we've learned along the way is that you don't have to shake a family tree too hard to get an addict or an alcoholic to fall out. Absolutely. It, addiction does not discriminate. It knows no socioeconomic boundaries, and it's everywhere. I was... Uh struggling a little bit in researching the story and researching you and the family because uh, um, Bruce was born in 85. I was born mm -hmm. in 85. I have one brother who was born in 87, just like Darcy was. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of tough yeah. to think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, on that point, um, that raises the issue of uh, is, it, uh, is it hereditary or is it, you know, is it... Uh, the way the child was raised. Nature versus nurture. Uh, nature the, versus the nurture classic. is the words I'm looking for. Yeah. And it's it's not nurture. And we can speak yeah. to that with authority oh, because, sure. uh, you know, our two boys were raised in a loving home, a loving, caring home. Child of pri Children of privilege, really. One is taking the world by storm as a, you know, an international star now in his field of magic and illusion. Yeah. And um, our older boy uh, lost his life to a disease. It can happen. If it can happen to us, it can happen to anyone. And it and it has and is currently mm -hmm. with this epidemic. Did they uh, did they scrap as much as me and my brother did scrap oh, yeah. growing <laughs> quite a bit or what? Yeah, a lot of scraps, <laughs> but they were uh, they were very very close. Mm -hmm. um, Darcy honors Bruce in a lot of his shows. Um, it uh, as I said earlier, we have holes in our hearts that will never heal. That certainly extends to Darcy, who when Bruce died, he. Uh, threw himself into his work, and that led to him uh, breaking big in Britain yeah, on, that, on the show called Britain's Got Talent, and it changed his life. So in a lot of ways, um, Bruce is responsible for Darcy's success. Yeah, the inspiration there, I mm -hmm. guess, hey? What were they into as kids? Like hockey? I, I, I saw Bruce was a boxer. Was there sports? Was there a lot of, like, was magic an early thing? Give me give me a little, paint, paint me a picture of what well, they Darcy, were like as kids. Um, we'll deal with Darcy first. He <laughs> tells a story in a lot of publicity that he does about his father uh, wowing him one day with a card trick. And when I, I, there was a deck of cards on the table and I, his mother and I were playing gin, I think. Do you remember and, the trick? It wasn't a trick, really. Oh, no. What it was was I said, here, pick a card, any card. And uh, he did. And I said, put it back in the deck. I didn't look at it. And I said, I'm now going to pick your card out. I had a 1 in 52 chance of picking out his card. <laughs> no way. And I did. I oh, got my, it. And that planted and, the seed. And that plant, and he was enraptured by my magic ability, of which there was none. And that uh, <clears throat> really was the start of... Uh, of his fascination with magic, because I'll tell you, in about a month, he had... He had killer card tricks. He was the That's hit awesome. at every party he ever went to. And from that grew his love of magic. And pretty soon we had 10 doves in the basement, three parakeets upstairs, and two Peking ducks in the backyard. And uh, and the dog spent the whole day trying to get through the screen door to get to the ducks. It was like Amazing. Disneyland at our house. But that uh, that's how it started for Darcy. Bruce was uh, equally talented in a lot of ways. And I remember, and as I said earlier, his life was about more than addiction, and he was a very precocious child. 
he brought us a lot of joy. Um, I remember one day we were in front of the house playing street hockey. He was three and a half. And like any father, I was telling him, this is how you hold the stick. This uh-huh, is how you shoot. Uh-huh. This is how you stick handle. And pretty soon he'd had it with my litany of instructions. And he stopped and he looked up at me and he said, you know, Dad, if you know so much about it, you should be playing it, not just talking about it. <laughs> so at the age of three and a half, he'd already figured out his father was nothing more than a professional gas bag. Nice. Um, Bruce wasn't what you'd call a natural athlete, but he survived on guts. He made his uh, varsity basketball team in high school, and he was a very good boxer. And again, he did that on guts because, yeah. believe you me, there's no one in my family who's ever had the courage to get into the ring unless they had to four shots awry first. There you go. Um, but, you know, Bruce, when he was 15, would get in to a van with his fellow boxing club members and they'd drive to a reserve in northern Minnesota and he'd fight two guys two years older than him and he'd win. So, you know, he, he, he was he had a lot of courage and a lot of guts. And I recall um, him training for the Canada Games. He appeared in the Canada Games and it, he'd become curious at this point about uh, my ability to box. Because the reason he got oh. into boxing was that he had seen me and heard me cover it at two Olympic Games. But he made a very critical error. He thought that because I could describe a boxing match on television <laughs> that I could actually do it. And uh, he, re- he invited me uh, repeatedly after training sessions as he was getting ready for the Canada Games to get into the ring with him. And I, I realized there was nothing to be gained through this. So I, I wisely rejected every invitation. Uh-huh. Nothing good could come of that. And I knew it until one fateful day at the Crescentwood Boxing Club. Um, he was the last one there. So he was going to turn out the lights. Darcy and I went to pick him up. There was no one else except the three of us there. Don't ask me why I did it, uh-huh, but I did. Uh-huh. I accepted the invitation. Just feeling a little ballsy that day? Yeah, right? I thought, yeah, okay, you know, how bad could this be? So I gloved up, got into the ring, and within 20 seconds, I was bent over against the corner turnbuckle, hoping I'd be passing blood for only two weeks. And he walked away from Body me. shots or what was <laughs> it? Shots yeah. to the kidneys. Oh, no. So he walked away from me dismissively. And, <laughs> and, and, and the deepest cut of all was on the ride home when he said to me, do you know, Dad, if a criminal broke into our house, I'd have to say this. You couldn't do it. <laughs> Amazing. And I think, you know, a lot of, of uh, teenagers are at some point in their in their teens, consumed, or not consumed, but at least didn't have the thought that, you know, I could take the old man. Oh, yeah. But in a loving, caring home like ours, why would you have any reason to find out? And sadly, Bruce had his answer at the age of 15. Oh, no. uh, He was very good at, uh, at rap battles, rap music. It cool. wasn't a genre that uh, his mother or I uh, really understood, but uh, because he was good at it, uh, we respected it, and maybe he was good at it because... He had inherited his father's ability to blather on incoherently, just as I'm blathering on here. You've probably now realized that this could be the longest podcast that you've ever done. Although, fortunately, it's your first. It's number one. Hey, we'll set um, the tone. We'll set the tone for the season. But just one story about uh, his love for for, uh, rap. It was uh, in his final year of high school. It was a school night. Uh, Anne was out of town, I think, or at work. And and, uh, I was, she was a nurse. And I... uh, was in charge. So he asked me if he could go to a rap battle at the University of Manitoba. And I said, yes, but be home by 10. 10 o'clock came, he wasn't home. 11 o'clock, he's not home. By midnight, I'm standing at the front door ready to invoke all manner of punishment. And he mm-hmm. walks in and disarms me completely by waving in my face five crisp new $100 bills. And he says, look, Dad, I went into the contest and I won it all. Unreal. And, and I said, son, that is the way to come home late. Now get to bed. And uh, so that was just an example. Ten percent for your manager, here exactly. Or something, right? An example of uh, of how good he was at it, and uh, you know, Crazy. We, uh, we we have 
fond memories of how we succeeded. For sure. In, in, I, in I actually, when you're talking about hip-hop. sort of the, uh, the, the father-son dynamic, I remember the first time riding my bike with my dad and I remember being faster than him for the first and like trying my hardest to beat him in or like race you to the end of the street or whatever. I don't know how I was old. I was 12 maybe. And I still remember that moment. So that's, there's something there. Psychological. But you never got into the boxing ring with him oh, and, no. and pounded him with kidney shots, he right? Would, he would still take me in that. He's got the, got the old man strength that would take me down with that. How, how has Darcy and Anne been like, how has this been on your family? You know, in general, because, uh, Darcy's a very public supporter and, and mm. has made videos and, and lots of tributes and stuff. So, like, is this a helping with the grieving process, do you think, going through this? Of course it is, yeah? yes. Yeah. It uh, gives us a reason to carry on. I always say when I speak about this in public that when you lose a child, you have a couple of choices. We have many choices. But two of them would be that you can resign yourself to your grief and carry on as best you can, or you can give voice to your grief and try to make your child's life mean something. And mm. that's what we've done. So... That was uh, well said. the genesis of of our establishing the Bruce Oak Foundation and um, and trying to get this place built. Was it pretty immediate after his death that you decided to do this, or was it a kind of a long process? How did that journey kind of well, unfold? Well, I, I'd like to take credit for uh, the idea, but it wasn't ours. It was uh, an idea that uh, was presented to us by a very close friend of the family who uh, was very close to Bruce. Um. Ross Rutherford, who uh, was a colleague of mine at CBC and now is in private business, and he had the idea. And he said, look, I don't know, you know where this might lead, but let's, uh, let's start a fund. Let's go to the Winnipeg Foundation, start a fund, and maybe someday we can get a place built in Bruce's name. So it was huh. his idea. I alternately, over the first number of years that uh, we were we were trying to figure out how to get this done. I alternately loved and despised Ross. <laughs> but, <laughs> because of the additional yeah, craziness. But mostly love because yeah. uh, it, uh, the whole thing has been for the greater good and mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity to take something so tragic and, uh, and turn it into something positive has, uh, has been good for our hearts. Yeah. The holes are still there, for but sure. uh, it's been good for us. You mentioned a little bit about the opioid epidemic, and now it's starting to get a little bit of mainstream conversation happening. Mm-hmm. It's very timely that the that the center is going to be hopefully open in a couple of years to kind of deal with that. But how how important do you think this crisis is, and and how can we kind of make that more a part of the mainstream conversation? When Bruce died, addiction was at the crisis stage. Right and now, and now I say it's ago. a full blown right. epidemic. Mm-hmm. In Canada in the year 2017, and I haven't seen the figures for 2018 yet, but in 2017, 4,000 people died of opiate overdoses in Canada. In the province of Manitoba in 2017, there were 170 opioid and fentanyl-related deaths. 170. Now think about that. That's almost one every two days. Um, If this was SARS or some uh, tragic strain of flu, societies everywhere would mount um, a full-on defense. Mm -hmm. But sadly, the addiction epidemic continues almost unabated. And we all know the effects of the meth crisis and how it's tearing our city, our province, and our country apart right now. Every day on the news, we hear words like um, fentanyl, carfentanyl, uh, Narcan, naloxone, meth. But the word that we don't hear nearly enough is treatment. And until mm. treatment becomes available to the vast majority of addicts who can't afford it, can't afford to go private, can't endure a yeah. waiting list somewhere, 
And that's not to say there won't be a waiting list at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, yeah. but we gotta gotta start somewhere. For sure. But until treatment is made available uh, on a far more uh, wide-ranging basis than it is now, not much in this epidemic is going to change. We're just going to go around in circles. Is that primarily just due to the stigma? Do you think, or is it just because people don't empathize with things unless they personally deal with it? Um, or both. I think it's got to do with both. You know, a lot of people think that addicts brought it on themselves, so leave them to their own devices. But I repeat, uh, addiction is not a moral failure. It is a disease, and we have to treat it as such. We have to look at the um, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center and treatment centers everywhere really as healthcare facilities. Yeah. Not as proactive instead of reactive as our system currently, not as dens of iniquity where bad people go to, you know, maybe take a little break from uh, (laughs) their bad lives. These are not bad people. These are good people trying to get their lives back in order. That's how we have to view it. It's such a bizarre narrative that's been constructed over decades, really, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and just a misunderstanding about about drugs in general, I think, especially when it comes to addiction. Um, I want this podcast to be about helping people empathize with causes and situations that they haven't personally dealt with. So what, what messages can we put out there to someone who has not one, like one of the rare people who hasn't had their lives affected by addiction? How can, what messages can we say to them to say like, this is something that you need to care about because even though it doesn't personally affect you, it is extremely important. Even though it may not have personally affected them and their immediate family, I'm sure if they go through their family tree, they're going to find somebody yeah. who who drank too much, who uh, you know used drugs to the detriment of their their lives. Um, the message should be that it may not be you right now, it may not be your immediate family, but it could be your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, it could your be coworker, any, your friend, anything. any one of your loved ones. You know, look in the mirror. Uh, and an addict is is often you, right? I mean, it's uh, right. as I've said before, it, it does not discriminate. And uh, until we can get that message out there and get people to take it seriously, and I think we're making a lot of progress. This project in, it, in itself has served, I would like to think, that purpose for of a Starting lot of the conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because yeah. we when we started, uh, when I should say when the Vimy... Uh, arena was identified as a potential site for us. We encountered uh, a lot of opposition, and there are some people who could not be convinced, and they may well take it to their graves. But we take pride in the fact that we met with a lot of people, that we had a lot of email conversations, that we had public consultations, and we changed a lot of minds, and that we educated people. Uh, and we need to do a lot more of that. I think the answer is going to be both, but how? Darcy's obviously a very public figure. You're a very public figure. Has that hindered or helped this whole uh, journey? I think it's probably both, but talk a little bit about how Look, that's I, I've received a lot of criticism from people saying, well, you're using your job for, you know, personal, uh, you know, not profit. Well, yeah. there, there's no one making any money off the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Yeah. You know? It's not. Uh, this is not for profit. We are legally prohibited from making a profit. And we don't want to make a profit. It is not for profit. The Bruce Oak Recovery Center will survive on the compassion and the charity of uh, of uh, of compassionate, understanding Winnipeggers, Manitobans, and Canadians. We have a PSA that runs now uh, on Rogers Hockey broadcasts. Every time it runs, people donate. They get the message. Um, so, and Darcy and I appear in that PSA. Yeah. I, I do not apologize for using um, Your platform. my platform yeah. uh, for societal benefit. 
and neither does Darcy. If, on the other hand, we were looking at opening a, a private treatment center that you know we would profit from or um, you know make scads of money from, then we should be taken to task for yeah. that. But that's not what we're doing here. Would you have any advice for families who are currently going through something, maybe in Winnipeg or anywhere across Canada, uh, that are going through dealing with a family member with addiction? How, how, what, do you have any sort of advice being in this unique position that you've gone through it? I guess the first thing I would say is um, do not let the stigma preclude recovery. Um, do not be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, get it out there. And, and one, my wife has an expression, and I use it many times myself, you're only as sick as your secrets. Um, mm. And the stigma attached to addiction oftentimes can, as I say, preclude recovery because you don't want anybody to know yeah. about it. And then it becomes um, this hidden, yeah. shameful and, thing. And, and keeping it secret and uh, um, you know, trying to pretend that uh, your life is something that it's not or the life of your loved one is something that it's not can, can often be it's, it's too much of a burden to carry. Get it out in the open. When Bruce was struggling... Um, with addiction, when he was really going off the rails, a lot of people would say to us, and Anne was very good at this, people would say, how's, your, how's Bruce doing? And, and her answer became, he's uh, struggling right now with addiction, but we're doing everything we can to help him. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it was kind of 50-50. Half the people would go, oh my God, is there anything I can do? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Um, you know, I feel so bad for you. And others would just change the subject or, mm-hmm. or just walk away. Right. So... The ones who would change the subject or walk away are the ones we have to convince yeah. that there's no shame in this. And uh, I think we've made a lot of progress. Well, that's better than the, the, the answer maybe 10, 15 years ago. Oh, he's fine. Yeah. He's doing all right. You mm-hmm. know, he's, he's, he's handling it yeah. or whatever it may be. We were never given to doing that. Yeah. Never. Good. And people say well, to us a lot of times, oh, you're so courageous, you're so brave. But really the truth is we just can't shut up in our family. <laughs> we're, we're a family of blabbermouths. Bruce, uh, we play this video in, in uh, the presentation that I told you about earlier that mm-hmm. we do when we tell the, his story of, the story of his life in public. It's him at the age of 10 accepting... Uh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where he, An award. Yeah, Manitoba uh, Sports Hall of Fame as a media wing, and I went into it a long time ago. He was 10 then, so that was, what, 14, 15? No, 24 years ago. He said... Uh, you saw it, but for the benefit of listeners, um, if there are any left in this podcast, <laughs> uh, who uh, who wouldn't have heard it, he says, even though I'm only 10 years old, I understand the meaning of this honor, that anyone in our family should go into hall, a Hall of Fame just for talking makes perfect sense. Exactly. <laughs> so and the, he the, nailed it. <laughs> the delivery was perfect yeah. too, right? The comedic timing was yeah. on point. With Darcy and Anne and the whole kind of family rallying around this point, do you think that uh, it's brought you close, closer together? Yes. Yeah. People said that when Bruce died. We'd heard from, from families who'd lost children that you'll become closer because of it. And that is true. Um, you know, we, when Bruce was struggling, we were focused on trying to get him healthy, trying to save his life. Um, Darcy, I don't want to ever say, was left to his own devices. We were always very attentive to him, but our number one priority for um, four or five years was trying to. I'm sure know, he understood that Bruce too, right? To like, and he was yeah, probably and he, and he did on, on board that. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even before that, um, 
you know, families go their own ways. The kids get older and, you know, maybe you don't speak. Sure. Um, every day every or day every or, week or whatever, yeah. Uh, and I guess that was probably the case with us, uh, but that's no longer the case. We speak uh, Dar- Darcy phones or wherever he happens to be. We communicate every day, text, uh, FaceTime, mm-hmm. phone. Or he, he, if he's in Winnipeg as he is currently, he comes to the house and he just got a puppy yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah, I decided he had to have a dog. But he's away a good amount of the time, yeah. so this means we now have a dog. Oh, so. right. <laughs> Did he ask but first, or was that just kind of, guess what? He's not asking us <laughs> anything. Are you kidding? <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, yeah. You got a dog. Um, but that's, uh, you know, it's just an example of, of how tight we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the byproducts of, a, of Bruce's tragic passing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird dichotomy to think about such a negative thing I, I see that a lot in the found in the work mm. with the foundation is people lose a, a daughter or a newborn or a family member or a friend and then they turn it into a fund or they turn it into a cause that they support i think is that the uh, natural I, I, course I know of things ha- yeah, or? I, well i know what happens to a lot of those funds is people are well intended when they start mm-hmm. and they have a fund and they get so far you know maybe two or three years down the road and go well what do we do now yeah um it's good to have this end yeah. goal of having We always center, had an right? end goal. Yeah. As I say, we, we didn't have um, a clear, concise path to start. To start. Yeah. But uh, in the last two or three years, we've had one, and that's why we're close to getting this done. That's yeah, so, why it's real now. So can you talk a little bit about the financials? Like how close is that all working out? Do you still need donors? Is it still <laughs> underway? Or we're going to need donors forever. I guess, yeah, that's um, right, eh? Because it's not-for-profit, and it will, as I said earlier, survive on... Uh, on the compassion, the compassion and the, and the, and charity minded Manitobans whom I think as we know, and you can speak to this as your position at the Winnipeg foundation, that Manitobans are, are, uh, the most giving quite generous in in the entire country. Um, so, uh, we have raised a significant amount of money daily. We get donations. As I told you earlier about that PSA that Darcy and I and a, and a young fellow named Hudson Taves do on, on uh, Rogers TV that produces donations. But on a regular basis, every day almost, we get to what you call grassroots or organic donations in the amount of, say, 20 or 50 mm-hmm. or $100. If you're given 20 or 50 bucks, you've got to think long and hard about whether you can afford it. For sure. If you add all those up, those grassroots or organic donations, and my wife has, mm-hmm. there it's 50, 60, maybe even $70,000 just wow. for those oh, alone. Geez. So you got to get a lot of those yeah, to no get kidding. it up to that amount. Well, it just proves and, that it proves how many people are affected. Correct. Yeah. So we see that as the will of the community, as the will of the province, and uh, and and people want this uh, this place to be built. Yeah. Um, we'll we will be launching a capital fundraising campaign in May. We'll set a target. I don't want to give you figures now because yeah. I don't want to preempt yeah. anything. But we're confident that we, uh, with the response that we've had already, without a capital fundraising campaign, that we can get this done. It's such an important thing. So timely. So so affected of thousands if not millions of Canadians I asked you uh, for advice for the families mm-hmm. of addicts what about advice for the addicts themselves who may be going listening right now and thinking you know I should I should get some help maybe well one thing we learned during Bruce's journey was we learned several things uh, I like to say one thing but there was many things we learned and and one of them was um, there any help that you try to give an addict, unless the addict is invested in recovery, is going to be wasted. And it can be a recipe for disaster when an addict, when the family of an addict wants recovery for him 
and the addict may not. <laughs> and then you cross over into enabling, and we did right. some of that. But thankfully, in our case, even though it ended tragically, uh, Bruce's story, um, whenever we said to him, that's enough, you've got to go uh, for help, he would go, huh. which proved to us that he loved us. Although I honestly have to tell you that Ann and I and Darcy would say that... Uh, we're not sure that he was ever truly invested in recovery. I told you about that uh, uh, place he stayed in, in Calgary for yeah. a year. He should have stayed two years, but you know he thought he was good to go. Um, so maybe just uh, not invested in, in the long term that it's necessary. Like you think, okay, I'm good now, and that's one of the most dangerous things that you can think as an addict. Oh, yeah. I, I've got this handled. But you know, listen, no, the uh, the answer to that really. Uh, is that we're not in a position to give addicts any advice. What we are is a family who lost a child, and we're trying to uh, ensure that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Um, you know, we're, we're that's fair. addiction is everywhere, and we're not going to get them all, but we yeah. can help some of them. And uh, but again, I'd be I would be careful about giving addicts advice because we've we personally have Anna and I and Darcy have never lived that. I think you yeah. have to go through it and get to recovery before you can offer that sort of advice. And those are the people who can offer it, the, I the, guess. The professionals, yeah, maybe. More than us. That's fair. Was there any any uh, retrospective moments in Bruce's upbringing or in, in his childhood that you think back on and think, oh, that was kind of, like, did you see signs early on or was it just a slow, gradual process? It was, uh, uh, I don't know if it was slow uh, because he was... He, the path Bruce followed was the path of many an addict. It yeah. was weed in high school, which doesn't separate him from a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. But Bruce was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, and that made him ripe for challenges and taking chances. So then it was ecstasy at weekend parties from that crystal meth and from crystal meth, Jeez. not a giant leap into the opioids and the drug that eventually claimed his life, heroin. Uh, but as for one specific or any specific signs, um, we didn't like his lifestyle when he completed high school. Yeah. Uh, he, he he didn't uh, have any uh, intention of attending university, so he was was going to go to work. Um, we were worried about uh, how he wasn't trying very hard. Mm -hmm. uh, we were on him every day to 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 get going, to get to work, um, and uh, over a fairly short period of time, it became clear to us that something was wrong. And uh, it presented itself when we hadn't seen him because we were we'd been at my uh, parents' place in Nova Scotia celebrating my my mother's seventy fifth birthday, and we got a call from Bruce to say that uh, he'd been assaulted. He was in, um, he was in some trouble. It was a gang related issue uh, here in so Winnipeg or here in Winnipeg. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we uh, we from the distance that we were separated yeah. by, we, we did the best we could. We we got him into a hotel, and uh, he stayed there for two nights until we got home. Uh, in the meantime, I called in a favor from a friend of mine who was uh, the lawyer for the Winnipeg Police Association, and um, he had a few names to deal with, and so pretty soon the head of the gang unit called me back. We were still in Nova Scotia at this point, and he said... Um, Where's your son? I'm going to go get him, put him into protective custody. Jesus. This was very frightening. And no we didn't know what to do, but we didn't want to lose total control of the situation. So that's why we put him in a hotel. And I said to the uh, police officers that they were very, very good to us, the Winnipeg yeah. Police Service was. And I recommend to anyone who encounters similar trouble, put your faith in law enforcement because 
they don't want to be punitive in most of these situations. Right. They see a family crying out for help. They're more inclined to help than they are to punish. Um, so I said to the uh, police officer, um, I'll bring him in when we get home. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got home and got one look at him and realized that he had, uh, he had a problem, a right. uh, serious problem. And so I took him to Health Sciences, and we were there. I, I'll never forget that night. Um, we were there for probably, I think when I've spoken in public, I've said 13 hours, but that's not true. It wasn't that long. It just felt like 13. Yeah. But it was six or seven hours. And uh, the doctor, when he saw him, I recognized immediately that he had an addiction issue and said to us, well, I can put him on the waiting list for AFM, which at that point was four to six weeks, uh, or you can go private. And because we had the resources, I said immediately, we will go private. We didn't know where he was going to go. So anyway, we got home. He was going to stay with us for uh, four days. He did until there was a bed available for him at Health Sciences Detox. And when we got home, we Googled uh, treatment facilities. And one came up, uh, I, I don't want to give the name, but it was a, a very fairly expensive place outside of Toronto, I thought, uh-huh. when I saw uh-huh. it come up right away. On, and then this is how it works on Google, right? right. You know, on searches. You, uh, top, if, top answer. You, yeah, you could be close to the top or whatever in this place was and uh, nothing bad to say about it uh, but it was private and I thought it was in Winnipeg oh and so I called Uh-oh. and and suddenly they tell me no no we're outside Toronto I said fine he's coming yeah just do the intake interview with him and they did and we took him there after uh, he finished uh, I think seven days in detox at health sciences he was there for a year I uh, pardon me not a year he was there for um, that was that was twenty five thousand dollars for six weeks oh but we paid it because yeah. uh, we well, the could. desperation, right? Yeah. You're and, willing to do anything. Well, well this, this was the start of the journey for right. not just for him, but for us too. Is you know we were getting a lot of lessons along the way, for and sure. and we naively thought that we're a family that's got some difficulty to deal with, but we're handling this right. Yeah. We're paying a lot of money. He's going to go to this place. He's going to get better, and we're all going to go back to our happy little lives. And sadly, it was just the start of uh, of an odyssey that ended tragically. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like I said earlier, just picturing my brother, and uh, it's <clears throat> unfathomable what you've gone through. But, yeah, the positives that are going to come from this, at least there's that, right? Uh, what, what are mm-hmm. the steps moving forward now? Like I, I read that mm-hmm. maybe end of summer we're going to be breaking ground. So what's the what are, what, are, what are the details on that? If we you can have share them. Um, our second annual uh, gala planned for August twenty second. It's a very significant date because August twenty second is Bruce's birthday. He'd be thirty four this August twenty second. Uh, that's the day on which we will break ground at uh, at uh, beautiful the Vimy Arena site and uh, go from there. Awesome. And we hope that, uh, again, we're confident we can raise the money to complete the project. Um, If we start on the 22nd, it should be open 10 to 12 to 13 months um, from that date. And the work can start, and the help Mm -hmm. and the healing can begin. Yes. That's great. Well, at the end of our time together, we have a little, well, I'm hoping this becomes a weekly segment, but it's called Just Because, where I'm going to ask you seven questions Quick questions. I don't want you to think about it too much, but just answer off the top of your head, and, and we'll see what we can get. You out want of that. short answers here? I don't know because you what, may be looking at the wrong guy. No, that's that. okay. I, hey, I could listen. I think, I think we already have the proof of that. We can chat all day if we want. <laughs> yep. Whatever, whatever pops into your mind, however you want to answer it, mm-hmm. go for that. Uh, so, question one: What is the first cause that you remember caring about, even as a child? 
Well, again, that's going to require some historical context. Please. Uh, thankfully, there's no time limit on this podcast, but um, in our family, there were five children. I'm the second. Uh, firstborn um, son of my parents uh, was Bruce, Bruce Sr. He, oh, cool. Bruce is uh, the man for whom our late son Bruce is named. Uh, Bruce was born in 1952 with spina bifida. Um, at a time when those who were stricken with it as seriously as he was didn't live very long. In fact, my parents were told by a couple of doctors to take him home, make him comfortable, and let him pass peacefully away. But um, they found a doctor after, I think, about 14 months of searching. They found a doctor who performed the operation to close the opening in his uh, spinal column, and he lived for uh, 33 years. Wow. Um, as it turned out, Bruce was heaven sent to us because uh, he was compassionate and he taught us a lot of things. And I think compassion was the number one thing that he taught us. Um, he was a brilliant guy, but uh, smart enough that when he was in university, he applied for a grant from the federal government to work with uh, mentally handicapped, or I should say, I think the correct term now is intellectually disabled, um, young men and women, children, huh. young men and women. Uh, who had nothing, we were living in Newfoundland at the time, who had nothing going in their lives. And he got the grant and suddenly had a booming operation that employed about 12 people. As a university student? Yeah. Or, wow, yeah. good for yeah. him. Brilliant. Um, so he was that kind of guy and he passed that compassion on to us. So I, that would be, I suppose, yeah. the first cause that uh, I uh, can recall being devoted to. But, um, you know, Bruce's journey, our son Bruce's journey, uh, has has taught us that um, you know this can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're uh, Ann and I and Darcy are uh, whenever we encounter somebody on the street who's uh, you know asking for money, we can't go by them because um, you know that could be that could have been Bruce. Uh, we'd like to think he had a bigger safety net than that, but mm -hmm. uh, who knows? Maybe yeah. that could have been him. So I, we look at people like that and say that could be one of our children. That could be our son. It's somebody's uh, so, child, right? Yeah, someone's kid. Yeah, exactly, somebody's kid. Uh, so uh, that sense of compassion has endured in my life, and uh, it started with my brother Bruce and was heightened and uh, and strengthened by our son Bruce. How many years older was your 13 brother? months older 13. than Oh, wow, okay, yeah. so real close. Yeah, so we were very close. Cool. Actually, Bruce was, uh, I mentioned that he was brilliant, and I spent my life when he was alive trying to be like him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he died when he was 33, uh, so that's, what, 30-odd years ago, and uh, I still uh, try to live up to his standards. Well, it sounds like, it looks mm. like you're doing a good job. Uh, second question, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your cause? Build a detox. Just, mm -hmm. yeah, get her going. Boy, uh, Ann and I often say if we ever win one of those giant lotteries, Lotto Max or Lotto 649, mm -hmm. not that we buy tickets except every week. Uh, <laughs> that, Maybe uh, this week. We would build a detox, which is step one to recovery mm -hmm. because um, people should know, and I, I think most do, but for those who don't, there's a big difference between detox and recovery. Detox gets you clean. You're not sober, but you're clean right. and ready for recovery. And so getting into detox is in itself in this province a major, major challenge. Lineups and, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So an addict who wakes up tomorrow morning and says, this is the day I changed my life, what do they do? They first, they try health sciences. They probably can't get in there. Uh, then they, you know, 
maybe they can get into the Main Street project. Uh, the options are limited, for the sure. point I'm trying to make. Yeah. And, and the uh, need is we, so great. And the need is great. So um, our our greatest dream for this for our project is not just the recovery center, but detox to precede that. Mm-hmm. So that... Uh, you know, that first step can be taken. Yeah, first step can be taken and taken quickly. We talked about this a little bit, but question three, uh, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause that you care most about? That addicts brought it on themselves and they should be left to their own devices. And when an addict dies, that's too bad. It's their own fault. Um, That that is an enormous misunderstanding that we're working hard to correct. And so are a lot of other people. I think we've made some progress. I've had some personal, you know, I've had that, definitely those thoughts creep in when I've had personal issues with friends and a couple of family members. I've been like, I've had those thoughts. And it's it's good to think that societally we're starting to move past it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Question four, how do you know when it's time to throw in the towel? Um, we don't because we never considered it. Uh, during this project itself, um, it seemed torturous at times. We survived at uh, the civic level, I think, eight separate votes uh, and, and won them all, which is why we're close to getting this place built. Uh, but we never, ever thought I've given up. We knew that uh, the cause was too great to do that. And uh, uh, so um, until or if we give up and we're not going to, I I wouldn't know the answer to the question. (laughs) We haven't seen that sign yet. Even though we heard some disparaging things and we were taken to task by a lot of people. um, It's part of it. We understand that. Uh, People don't uh, know what they don't know. It's and, mostly uh, it's mostly from ignorance yeah. too. So and if they're ill-informed, and I think a lot of people were during this process, uh, then that's one of the results of it. But yeah. uh, never thought of giving up for sure. Never. Uh, question number five: What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, I would say that's something that uh, I learned during um, volunteered at Salome Mission for about ten years. I haven't been there for the last uh, five months or so because our uh, foundation has just required so much attention. But I would make it a point of going there every week, sometimes twice a week uh, if I could, um, just to pour juice and uh, you know, interact with the patrons. I still see people. Uh, I can leave here today and see, probably see three or four that I've you know, become friends with at Salome. I can't remember the score of a hockey game two minutes after it's over. Uh, but I can remember the names of um, a lot of patrons at uh, at Solo. I guess that means that I care more about that than I do about hockey. Um, <laughs> well, there's so many so games too, right? the lesson I learned there is that uh, there is a difference. This is an expression that I, I took out of time there and uh, a couple of books that I've read by people who are advocates for the homeless, the impoverished, and the disadvantaged. Um, there is a difference between entitlement and gratitude. Let me think about that. Entitlement robs you of your joy and compassion because you think you deserve this mm-hmm. or I'm entitled to mm-hmm. that or whatever, right? Gratitude is the, really the beginning of the thought that there's enough for everyone and that it should be shared. In my personal case, um, you know, commentators can, especially in my job, can start to think, you know, well, I'm entitled to that. And, uh, hmm. you know, they, they have to... Uh, uh, give me a raise Where or whatever. Access to, but I'm not yeah. really entitled to anything more than doing a good enough job one week that they'll have me back the next. And I should be thankful that I have that opportunity. So um, I, uh, I guess I, I learned that uh, at, at Salome, and I've, uh, I think about that a lot. Question six, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? Um, have more patience than you do as you get older. 
we started this project from a very altruistic point of view, and uh, we we often have thought, well, why it's the right thing to do? Why can't we just get it done? Right. But those votes I talked about yeah. and navigating the halls of the legislature and city all the hall, hoops that need to be jumped yeah, through, the obstacles we've had to clear have uh, have been a test of patience. I reiterate, we've never thought of quitting, but I just wish I had more patience so mm. that I could go with the flow of this seemingly interminable process uh, more easily. Part of the, part of that might just be you didn't really know what you're getting into as far as eight. I wouldn't have assumed you'd need eight votes to get, you know. It's, mm. it's probably just a shock that there's so many hurdles to jump over to get what seemingly seems like such a good and rational mm. idea done. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Um. I guess the best thing you can say about anybody uh, as in their death is, did he or she make a difference, a positive difference? Um, so I suppose that. But, you know, when I'm gone, it's not going to really matter. It'll be up to other people. I'm not really worried about how I'm going to be remembered. Gotcha. Now, I know this is the first podcast, but I'm going to break my rules and ask a couple bonus questions okay. because yeah. my dad's... Well, do we have the time? Oh, we got plenty of time. <laughs> Rob, how are we for time? We're good? Oh, we got the thumbs up from Rob, so we're okay. Um, basically, I mean, my dad's been a hockey. He's got, he has one tattoo, and it's a Montreal Canadian symbol on his shoulder, so I would be remiss if I didn't talk hockey with you a little bit. I First, thought you, you wanted to bring up the topic of tattoos, which... Uh, oh, do you have any tattoos? I have be... none. Okay. My wife has one, because Darcy's covered in them. From, yeah, yeah, I've seen. I used to say to Darcy, he came home at the age of 17, he had the four suits of cards tattooed on uh, his each tricep. Oh, okay, cool. Both arms. Yeah. And I saw it and flipped out mm. because it was my house, my rules, right? right. You know that. Well, my mom be. cried when she saw yeah. my first one, so so that should be an international opera, right? My house, my rules, yeah, flies for sure. everywhere for sure. And uh, he said that was all he was going to get. And, uh, <laughs> then he came home with, I think he had some stars or something tattooed on his lower abdomen, and I said, "My God, you are a couple of roses away from being a slot machine." <laughs> um, Great. Line. And I, I used to just decry him covering his uh, body with permanent ink mm -hmm. but it's part of his persona now That's and true. Uh, you know I I guess it's true as his mother often says you know you're an old fuddy-duddy you don't get kids <laughs> today and I don't because I often say to him you're going to have those when you're my age mm -hmm. but they're part of his as I say part of his persona and they probably are one of the reasons he's making money so yeah. um, I uh, I've been proven wrong in the area of tats now I got your way off track no what no worries question? first question <laughs> talking hockey who's your current favorite NHL player to interview and why is it Ryan Reeves <laughs> Ryan grew up across the street from us. Ryan's right between Bruce and Darcy in age, so he's best friend of both. Oh, cool. Darcy was actually best man at uh, Ryan's wedding, and I was the MC. There you go. Um, it's so, always magic when you yeah. two are together. It's Ryan pretty... has always been close to our family. He used to, when we would be having dinner, he would walk in and yell uh, in his bathrobe. Uh, <laughs> he would yell, black man in the house. Oh, and, my. And walk out and get in the hot tub. <laughs> so he was just always around and the boys were very very close we watched ryan grow up and you know i i knew from in a very early age he was going to be a superior athlete he could have succeeded just as well in in uh, football as he has in hockey uh i remember uh, uh one of those birthday parties where you take the kids to the go-kart track and yeah. you get to go on the trampolines and the go-karts oh, yeah. and there's a batting cage and i think it might have been darcy's birthday or perhaps bruce's can't recall mm -hmm. which one but um 
the the kids went into the batting cage and most of them you know couldn't like 20 miles an hour they were struggling to hit the ball ryan turned it up to 90 and he couldn't hit it fully but he could get a tick of it Still, yeah, yeah. and he has superior hand-eye coordination with the biggest feet in the world when i would uh, sometimes come in the front door and i'd see these size 15 shoes i'd say Who's in the house here? <laughs> uh, what man is in the house? And it was Ryan at the age of 13. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, I always lo- love seeing Anyway, that. the answer to the question is we have lo- I have a lot of affection for Ryan. Mm-hmm. He's like a member of our family. And uh, I could be disingenuous and do the old, what do you have to do better in the third period yeah. interview with him? But um, I... I just couldn't do it, so we, you know, we, it's become we, a pretty, pretty yeah, well popular. It may be getting a bit tired. We'll have to. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> all right, I'll take your advice. That's great. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot for the last question of our conversation here. Who is your pick to win the Stanley Cup? I know you have to be impartial, but no one's going to hear this. It's a new podcast. Anyway, yeah, you can right. just give me. Well, maybe tell me who your mind thinks, and then who your heart says too. I'm not going to pick anybody. Okay, uh, but obviously, you know. In the East, you got to look at Tampa Bay. They've had a record-breaking season. Unreal. Uh, so I would pick them as a possible Stanley Cup finalist from the East. That's as far as I'll that's go. A, that's and a good choice. West, um, it's hard not to like the Calgary Flames. Yeah, that could be They've a resident sleeper. they all going right now. They're yeah. playing well at just the right time. They have incredible depth. I know some people are concerned about their goaltending, but uh, Mike Smith has found his game again. And David Riddick is... Uh, I think Mike Smith will likely be the starting goaltender in the playoffs, but if it was to go... Uh, in a, an unfortunate direction from, for, uh, for Mike Smith, and they have David Riddick on the bench. And a lot of teams that have won the Stanley Cup have gone with two goaltenders throughout the, uh, the four rounds of the playoffs. So I like the Flames. I like the, the Tampa Lightning. Um, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Great answer. Yeah. Great conversation. Uh, thanks, Scott, for being here. We really, appreciate, we really appreciate your time for being at guest number one on the Because and Effect podcast. Did, uh, did you actually record this or was this just, just Oh, warm-up? I see the lines there. Rob's giving me the thumbs up. Okay, I think good. he got it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Scott. We're out of tape. We're out of tape. Appreciate it. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you again to Scott Oak for being the inaugural guest on the Because and Effect podcast. It was truly an honor to speak with uh, with Scott. I've obviously been a fan of you for years, and I've loved his hockey interviews, so it was really um, inspiring to hear about the personal side of the man. I think I should also probably acknowledge that our conversation happened a couple of weeks ago before the playoffs started, so I thought I should just add that little additional context there, of course. Um, before we say goodbye today, I really wanted to thank you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Scott and I had. And if you did, please subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Um, And yeah, just comment and let me know what you thought of the conversation, what we should do differently next time, or who you'd like to see on the Because and Effect podcast. All music on the Because and Effect podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can check him out at trentonburton.com. Because and Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation with special thank you to Robert Zirk and Sonny Permolo for production assistance. My name is Nolan Bicknell. You can find me on social media at Nolan Bicknell and you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation on their social media accounts at WPGFDN. Thank you very much for listening again and uh, be sure to take care of one another. Thanks. <laughs>